I'm going to share with you tonight. So let's, um, let's just pray and then we'll get straight into the word tonight. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the amazing opportunity we have to just get together and enjoy each other's company, but also hear from you and, and uh, hear your word being spoken. And we pray that it would speak into our lives, including myself, and it would challenge us and, and change us into everything you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's been enjoying the prayer and fasting? Six weeks, we're four weeks in, two more weeks to go. How are you going? <laughs> don't say that. There's no such thing as failure. We're going and it's great. I don't know about you, but um, over that time, I really felt uh, a sense of God speaking and, and God talking and encouraging me. And one area he's really been reminding me in my time of prayer with him is how amazingly generous our God is. I don't know about you, but as we've been praying, I've just had a sense of a fresh understanding of his generous nature. And it came a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing to preach last time. And uh, I won't ask who remembers what I preached because that's very dangerous because no one usually does. But I preached on the armor of God. And, uh, and the amazing thing about that is that when God gives us armor, he gives us his armor. It's God's armor. He doesn't give us something he found in the back shed that he hasn't used for years and years and years. He gives us his very best. He gives us his armor, which we talk about. It's truth, righteousness, salvation, faith. Um, can you help me with the rest? Peace. What was the other one? Righteousness. And uh, excellent. And they, these are the things that God gives us his very best to help us get through life, to help us deal with the obstacles of life, that when there are, there are forces that are going around that try to put us off course, God gives us his armor to help us. Isn't that cool? That's the amazing, generous God that we have. And then last week when we had the tag team preachers, and Jack was one of them, he started to preach about the story of the prodigal son. He enjoyed it. Isn't it cool? Did such a great job. And as he was preaching, I was reminded of, again, how generous and amazing our God is. And uh, it reminded me of a book I read a little while ago by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God. Amazing little book. I've been sharing about books lately because I want to encourage you to get your knowledge up. And uh, this is a very small book. It's not very long, but it talks about the story of the prodigal son. And uh, he gives a really good take on it. So if you want to grab it, find it in Kurong or wherever, it's a, it's really, a really good book. And it will help explain Christianity to you in a, in a fresh way. But in this book, Timothy Keller talks about the prodigal son story. But he says, he asks the question, what, is the, what does the word prodigal mean? Does anyone know what the word prodigal actually means? Any idea? We use it, and we don't use it anywhere else but other than in this story these days. But it's an old-fashioned word that means... In definition, it means a reckless spendthrift. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? It's nice old-fashioned language. But if you want to explain it a bit further, it's one who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way or one who gives on a lavish scale. If you want to literally in today's language, what it means is to spend until you have nothing left. To spend until you have nothing left. 
But you see in our story, this description, prodigal, could be used for the father just as much as it's used for the wayward son. It's because in our story we learn of the, fa- of the son who does recklessly spend all his father's inheritance, doesn't he? He wa- wastes it on selfish things, and he, 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 on selfish indulgences, and he spends it all. And it, what does it end up doing? It leaves him destitute, broken, hungry, and lost. Isn't that right? But if we look at it a little bit further, if we look at the father, the father was equally as reckless as the son. Think about it for a moment. Because when the son came home, what did the father do? See, the reality is the father, and it would have been very reasonable to consider this, the father would have been very reasonable to count all his son's debts against him. And say to his son, you need to pay me back everything you lost. You, need to, you have brought such dishonor upon my family. You have caused such shame to me. And you should pay it all back. But the father doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? That's right. He, he restores him to full sonship. He restores him back to everything he was before. He doesn't count it against him any longer, but he puts a ring on his finger to determine that you are my son, puts a robe on his back to say he belongs to the family, and throws a feast, a party, so everybody else knows. This is my son who who was lost, and now he's found. Let's celebrate together. And so most people would go, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? What a waste of money. He'll probably let you down again. He'll probably do the same thing again. And even his older brother's going, I'm not going to that party because I want nothing to do with this reckless behavior. But the father was unashamedly reckless and, and lavish on all sorts of scale and spent money to say my son has returned. You see, in his reckless extravagance for the benefit of another, the father in the story shows us a picture of the God of Christianity. You see, the God of Christianity is the God of great expenditure. He is a God who is generous and spends and and pours out and blesses and, and wants to give to us. He is a God that is not just generous in action, but it's He is generous in who He is. He is not just generous in deed, but generosity is who he is. Another way we could describe this kind of generosity is that it's, as I said before, it's lavish. And it, it, it's lavish in that it is poured on amazingly and on a large scale. It reminds me of a little bit of when you go to dinner at my mum's house. She doesn't hold back. She just keeps feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. And she goes, what's wrong? You don't want some more? You, you're full? She, she could just, if she could, she would just keep feeding you. And it's been lucky I've been fasting lately because I would just keep growing. But the fact is, that's the type of God we serve. Someone who is generous, not just in what he does, but in his nature. It's just who he is. talks about this in the Bible in 1 John 3.1. 
It says, see what great love the Father has, what? Lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. It's because of God's great generosity, and not just a little bit of generosity, lavish generosity, that we can be children of God. What a privilege we have, that we would be so grateful to God for being so generous that we could be called His children. Tonight I want to share with you three things quickly of where we see God's generosity. The first place we see it is in creation. Now, when God created orchids, and I've got an example of one here. I brought one from home. I've got to be very careful. It belongs to Emma, so I can't damage it. But who likes orchids? Yeah, they're pretty, aren't they? When God created orchids, in my thinking... He could have probably created you know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen different varieties, and that would be enough, don't you reckon? How many orchids do you really need? Like, How many different types of orchids do we really need? Well, the reality is, does anyone know how many different varieties of orchids there are? Keep going. Keep going. Times that by a thousand. There are 27,000 different varieties of orchids that's generous that's generous what do you reckon is that generous that he would create 27,000 or more different varieties of orchids for our enjoyment for our pleasure so they don't do much other than you look at them and go isn't that pretty but how generous is our God that he would create that that he would create 27,000 different varieties of orchids. Now, we could go on and on with creation and talk about it because there's so many different examples of God's generosity in it. But at the end of the day, what the Bible tells us in Romans 1.20 is that forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, his creation declares his goodness. His creation declares who he is. And that we we look at creation and we can't deny that there's a God. I found this, I discovered this years ago when I was the chaplain at at Cavern Training Centre with the juvenile offenders. And um, we used to do a Bible study there and every time we'd start it, we'd We'd have new people in the group and we'd say, do you believe in God? We'd ask the question, like, where are you at with it? Do you believe there is a God? And, you know, without a doubt, the majority of people that came to the course, young guys between 12 and 18, they'd all go, yeah, we believe in God. And we'd go, well, why? Why, why do you believe in God? Like, what makes you believe there's a God? And without a doubt, many of them, unfortunately, were indigenous young men which there's way too many, the, the proportion is way out of whack for society, but they would say we'd be out back and we'd be out bush and we'd look up into the night sky and we'd see the stars. And you know when you're out in the country and you look up in the night sky and you see stars, what's it like? It's amazing. We don't see it in the city very much because of the city lights, but when you're out there and you're looking at the sky and you just see stars beyond stars, beyond stars, beyond stars, And they would say, we'd look at that and we'd go, there must be a God. 
there must be more to this. There must be something greater that created all of this, that made this. And they would say in their hearts they knew there was a God because of looking at the stars. The Bible teaches us that God placed all those stars in place, every one of them, billions, trillions, whatever it is of them, and that he created them for our pleasure and that we could know him and see it, that he is a God. Because in, that, in his creation we see it, that God is recklessly, extravagantly, lavishly generous. That he's, in creation we see all of that. The second place we see God's uh, generosity, lavish generosity, is in redemption. You see, after sin had entered into the world, it set us on a path to brokenness and pain, hurt, um, and ultimately death. And uh, the fact was, as soon as sin did come into the world, even before that, God had conceived a rescue plan for all humankind. And he didn't go to half measures when he conceived it. He's, the plan that he, he conceived was the very best plan that could ever be conceived. He, he created a plan that he knew that if he was going to rescue us and save us from the broken state that we were in, that he would leave no stone unturned and that if he was going to restore us back to who he created us to be, the children of God, that he would have to give his very best. And this is the amazing thing about God's plan, is that his best was literally himself. And he gave himself for our benefit. See, he spared no expense. Driven by his generous nature, he gave himself for us. He paid the ransom for our lives. The fact that we have freedom now is because God is a God of great expenditure. That he spent everything he had, his very life. In that definition I shared earlier, it says to spend until you have nothing left. Well, when Jesus died on that cross and gave his life, he spent till there was nothing left. He gave his very best. That's the generous nature of our God. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 8, it sums it up so powerfully, so beautifully. I want you to read it with me because in this passage we, we hear the lavishness and the generosity and the extravagance of his generosity written so powerfully where it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us his kindness 
He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. I don't know if you sense it in that passage, but the, the richness of the language that is used, that he poured out. He didn't just trickle out his grace. He poured it out. The picture I get is like a bucket being poured out on us. That he, he purchased. That he's rich in kindness. It's, it's not half-baked. It's all in. It's all out. In that last part, it says he, he has showered his kindness. I don't know. There's nothing like having a good hot shower in the morning. Amen? And that's what it says. He's showered his kindness on us. In another version, it says he has lavished his kindness on us. This is the God we serve. This is his plan in his redemption plan for us. He shows us how generous he really is. The last area we're going to talk about is prayer. It might seem unusual. What do you mean God is generous with prayer? You need to understand that God encourages us to pray because he knows prayer is the vehicle that opens the door to his generosity in our lives. I want to share with you a passage in James 1.5, which says, If any of you lacks wisdom, anyone in that boat? Yes. Oh, full of, it's a wise place here tonight. No one, no one lacks wisdom? Two hands up. That's the way. You should ask God, who what? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's pretty important. And it will be given to you. A God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I said this morning, and I say it again, that there's one certain child of mine that will sometimes come and ask for money from me. He goes, Dad, I need money. Oh, I said he. That's my people. Well, you got two to choose from. You can guess which one it is. But he says, I need money because my car's broken down or this happened or this. And I go, I, in my fatherly role, would go, well, what are you doing with your money? Have you been saving? We taught you to save for a rainy day in case your car broke down. Why haven't you got money? And I'll pick fault and I'll pick... what. Anyone know that experience? That you go, you should have done this and you should have done that. And why didn't you do this? And then you go, yeah, I'm sorry, but can I have money? And go, oh, okay. But you have to pay it back. You've got this long payment plan. This is the way it happens. This is the idea. But this says, mind blown, that he gives generously without finding fault. He doesn't go, well... Why didn't you do this? Why don't you do that? And then I'll give it to you. No, he says, ask, and he will give generously without finding fault. That's amazing. That's parenting to another level. Jesus talked about prayer this way in Matthew 7, verses 1, 7 to 11, where he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he goes on to say this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your 
or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake. Now, I know some fathers who might do that because they think it's funny and they want to they show a bit of a practical joke, not talking about anyone in this place, not at all. But uh, some, some are. But Jesus goes on to say, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Any of us who are parents in this room know that we want to give our kids good gifts. We want to bless our kids. I know there's times where they ask for stuff and we say no, but there's most of the time, as Damien shared the other week, we can, kids can wear their parents down because in the heart of hearts of parents, they want the best for their kids. And that's the, the, the fact of the matter. But this is the amazing thing. In this passage, Jesus is telling us God the Father wants that even more. He doesn't want to hold back from you. He wants to give to you. But sometimes we need to ask. Sometimes we need to knock. Sometimes we need to seek. Sometimes we need to make it a priority in our lives. Because we, and sometimes we need to understand and have an understanding and a revelation that God is a God of great expenditure. A God of extravagant generosity. That He wants to bless us. Now I know... Some of you are probably sitting there thinking, Ben, that's really nice for you. But I don't seem to see God's generosity in my life. It doesn't, doesn't seem to happen. I, I can't see it. I, I, can't, I can't grab a hold of it because I ask for stuff and nothing seems to change. But here lies the problem. That sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes we have a problem with perspective. We don't see God for who he is. And if we don't see God for who he is, then we, we don't want to ask because we don't really believe that he is that generous. I'll share with you a story that happened a couple of weeks ago. I took the primetime crew out, call them that, the over 60s. I took them out in the church van. We had a cool, good time, didn't we, Daphne? Didn't we have a good time in the van, the church van? I took them around to to all the different places in Port Adelaide and, and we, I wanted to show them the street art of Port Adelaide. You know the street art, the really cool street art all around Port Adelaide? So I brought them to this one, this one mural. Anyone seen this one? It's, uh, and I, I pulled up the, the van and I said, look at that one. And they go, oh, that's beautiful. And I said, what do you see? And they go, oh, it's a flock of birds. It's a flock of birds. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, there are birds in the picture, but look, look harder, look deeper. What do you see? And they're like looking and looking. Some of them had to adjust their glasses. And, uh, and then I said, do you see two people kissing? And they're like, oh, yes. There it is. There it is. And all of a sudden, their eyes were open and they said, yes, there it is. And they're like, wow, that's beautiful. And it, but their first perspective, perspective was just birds. But as they looked deeper, they actually realized what was in front of them. I'll give you, an, who wants another, another one? I'll give you another one. What do you see here when you look at this picture? Anyone see an old lady? Yeah, some people see an old lady. Who sees a young lady in that picture? Yeah? 
There are both in there, but it depends on your perspective or what you're looking for. I'll give you one more. One more. What do you see when you see this? The Canadian flag. Is that right? Does anyone see two people talking to each other in that picture? Anyone see it? Ah. All right, let me show you. This is the mouth. That's the nose. And then there's their brow looking that way and then the same in the opposite direction. Can you see it? Look deeper. Look harder. It's all about perspective. You know, that we talk about there being two types of people in the world. Listen up. Two types of people in the world, don't we? This is very simplistic, but it's very true as well. There are some people that's, who see the glass half empty. Sometimes I get into this way of thinking and I have to challenge myself to not think like this because when you see the glass half empty, they say, who stole the other half of my water? Is that right? I've been ripped off. What's going on? I have rights. I'm important, you know. The world and God owes me something. God's hiding something from me. Isn't that what we talked about when at the, in the garden that what happened is the serpent said, God's hiding something from you. He's holding something back. There's more that you, that you deserve. And he's not giving me everything I deserve. Then there's the other type of people, the people who see the glass half full. And they're people who say, I am blessed to have any water at all. I've got half a glass of water. How blessed am I? I'm grateful for what I have, and I'll use it to the best of my ability. I had nothing before, and now I have something. God has given me so much that I didn't deserve it. I am blessed. You see, this is our challenge as individuals and as a church is to see that God is extravagantly generous. To see around us, everything around us, and see God's generosity, that what we have is so much. Even the air in our lungs is a gift from God to keep us alive. This is the attitude that we need to develop. A grateful attitude. If we want to see God's blessing in our lives, then gratefulness is an amazing way to open that door. You see, grateful people in the end also become generous people. I want to close with this last story. It's a story from Luke 7 in the Bible when Jesus was walking the earth. And in this story, we meet two people. We meet one guy called Simon. He's a Pharisee a religious person, the religious person of that day. And then we meet another lady. We don't even know her name, a woman. The one thing that we do know about her is that she comes from a questionable background. Both these people have very different perspectives about Jesus. And their perspectives determine what they get out of this relationship. You see, the first one responds with mistrust and receives nothing at all, basically a rebuke. But the second one 
responds with gratitude and generosity, and she receives blessing and ultimately salvation. So I want to read this story to you from Luke chapter 7, and you're welcome to read it with me. But it says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, take note of that, he's not saying this to the woman, he's saying it to the Pharisee, Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I'll just stop there for a moment. I want you to think about this. In the culture of that day, if you invited someone to your house, if you were in partnership with them or you agreed with them or you said, we are, we are like family, we are together in this, we are, we are of the same ilk, then you would wash their feet when they came in. You would give them water to wash their feet. You would, you would also give them a, a, a kiss on the cheek or both cheeks to say, you, we are one, we are together in this. And, it, and you would even give them uh, perfume to freshen themselves up after because they walked everywhere, so you'd give them perfume. That they, but Simon did none of that for Jesus. So what was the message he was giving to those who were there? I'm not with this guy but I'm willing to see what he's like and see if he is who he says he is, if he's that good a guy. So he's, he's made no connection. But in this statement, Jesus says, this woman has said, Jesus, I want to be a part of you. I want to be friends with you. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be in her actions. She reaches out in gratitude and generosity. And then Jesus goes on to say, therefore I tell you, her Many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. A powerful story that reminds us 
to not forget how much God has done for us. You see, it's not about the size of the sin, realistically. It's about our gratefulness for what God has done for us. That we understand that He is a generous God. A God who pours out and out and out for us. And that we would accept that and, and believe that and live in that. You see, we must never lose sight of how much God has given to us. As I said, you only need to look at creation to understand that. We must never lose sight of how much God has paid for us. How much he has paid to restore us to himself. He has paid everything he has. And we must never lose sight of the privilege that God has provided for us, that we can come to him at any time and pray and ask him for help. This is the generous nature of our God. Let's never forget that our God is recklessly, extravagantly, lavishly generous. And let's respond with grateful hearts. Hearts that say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And hearts that would say, God, help me to live a life that honors your extravagant generosity. That I might be extravagantly generous as well with you and with the world that I live in. That I would not just keep it all to myself, but I would be looking at ways to bless others. To show others your amazing generosity in my actions. See, that's what God calls us to. That we would be extravagantly generous. That we would be grateful firstly, but then extravagantly generous. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes I think, wouldn't it be wonderful that if I was known for my generosity more than anything else? Sometimes I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if this church... You know, we do a lot in the community and it's wonderful. We are very generous. But if people didn't just say, oh, they do generous things at that church, but that, that people would say, they are generous. Their, their name is not just the Port Church. Their name is the Port Generous Church because they're so generous. It's just who they are. If you need something, that's the place you need to go because we're just a reflection of who God is. That's our prayer church. We serve an extravagantly generous, lavishly generous God. And it's our responsibility to not take that for granted, but to be so grateful for that, that we would be prepared to display the same type of generosity to God and to the world we live in. Let's close in prayer. I'm not going to ask for any type of response tonight because it's pretty straightforward. I think every person in this place would say, I, help me, God, to be more generous. Help me to be more like you in everything I do. But let's just pray right now. And you might want to pray that. Maybe you feel like you've taken for granted the things that God's done for you and you just want to say, God, forgive me and help me. Put you first and foremost again and remember the, how good you've been to me. But let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for the opportunity to open our eyes to how lavishly generous you really are. 
that you are the prodigal God, the God who spends until there's nothing left, that you just give your all for us. And we see that in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we just pray that you would help us, Lord, to always be grateful for your generosity, but also to be, be generous to others as well, that just as you've given so freely to us, that we would give freely to those around us. Help us to love those who we find difficult to love. Help us to be generous to those who need to know that you love them. Help us to be your children and a true reflection of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.